This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. We are grateful for Brick Lane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. Thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you It's Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon It is the afternoon after the afternoon before, something like that uh, Yesterday <laughs> was when India won at the Oval, what a triumph it was So it's now Tuesday late afternoon, my time, probably nearly 2 in the morning Jeff's time on Wednesday uh, morning, something mm-hmm. like that And uh, we have got another massive weekly show for you If you are finding The Final Word for the first time, having listened to our daily shows There might be quite a few of you out there, given the sheer volume of people who tuned in to the Day 5 Daily app. Uh, welcome, welcome to our Final Word community This is what we normally do, we spend about... An hour and a half each week making this episode around the game around the world, the politics around the game, the issues around the game. On the weekend, we talk about the history of cricket on a program we call Storytime. And then each day of a test match, we will make the daily show, which by now you will be familiar with. So Mm -hmm. uh, with no further ado, I welcome Jeff Lemon. Hello, Jeff. I feel like I know what we're doing now, which is nice. Sometimes I need a reminder. Sometimes, <laughs> often, I need refreshers uh, about very basic things. You know, are you wearing pants? Do you have your keys? Did you remember to put on your glasses? Are you looking for your glasses while wearing your glasses? <laughs> The answer to all of those questions has been both yes and no at different times in my life when it should have been the other one. But at least here, in terms of what we do on this show, I feel like I know what's going on for today. Outstanding. That's exactly how it should be. Well, on this episode of The Final Word, the weekly episode, we are going to interview... Emma John. In fact, I can let you in on something. We have already interviewed Emma John. I'm not, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag to say uh, this is not in sequence. Uh, Emma John has been uh, writing in The Guardian 
in the last few days about the extraordinary uh, documentary that Mark Butcher made for Sky Cricket, which I've had the pleasure of watching over the last few days during the Test match. I uh, watched the final episode today. Emma was writing about it too, essentially looking at the systemic racism in English cricket over time, not just inside the game, but around the game as well. Uh, so Emma spoke to a number of former England internationals who, uh, well, there's 21 black men and women who've played for England and, and Butch spoke to a bunch of them and Emma spoke to a bunch of them as well. And that was a very interesting conversation. So that'll be the second half of the show. Jeff, to start with, we should say that our Discord channel is popping off, which is very exciting. Uh-huh. Our Discord channel is where members of our patron community can come and chat. Now, I must admit, I've been absent from there for a couple of weeks, for I am a very busy boy at the moment between uh, radio, television, other commitments and all the rest of it. But it was lovely to drop in there this afternoon and, and have a chat just to sort of see how things have been progressing. The sub-channels, when I last was on there, there was about six of them. Now, there's about 16 of them, so you've been busy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, other things have been happening. The As far as popping off goes, do you remember the uh, the ad for, maybe it was a Black & Decker popcorn maker that was a television ad in the 90s and it, <laughs> it had corn popping and the, maybe the music was the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the, yeah, absolutely, yeah, sure. And just more and more and more popcorn got made, sort of uh, Magician's Apprentice style, the unstoppable flood of popcorn. It's like that. That's how off it's been popping. A bunch of people have had meetups at the Oval Test. I love this. Uh, and, I and love this. Test before that. This, this is a bit that, I mean, I knew they were in the offing, but because I've been away a little mm-hmm. bit, I didn't realise they've actually happened. I'm sorry I, I wasn't at the meetups. In truth, I probably wouldn't have been able to have made them anyway, not at this stage. That'll be more October for me when I have a slightly quieter month. But the very fact that these, these final word meetups are happening makes my heart swell. Uh, it's a lovely thing. So uh, keep them coming. Uh, you can learn more about our Discord channel when we come to Nerd Pledge a little bit later. The reason I raise Discord, though, is because it directly links into the vaccine game, which is taking place on the 17th of September, 4pm, okay. Dulwich Cricket Club. So that's 10 days from now. Eek, that scares me somewhat because I've done no work on it whatsoever other than drop into the Discord channel about half an hour ago. I'm recruiting a team to represent the final word against the Oval Dream Boys. The Oval Dream Boys are a team that is Take based... Down. This, this won't surprise a, a you. A grudge match. This is our grudge <laughs> match. The final word, the Oval Dream Boys. They've always hated each other. They've all, they're, they're like River Plate and, <laughs> and Boca Juniors in, in Buenos Aires. Oh, there's bad blood, let me tell you. It goes way back. Yeah, it won't surprise you to know that the Oval Dream Boys are based out of the Oval there where India, of course, uh, won that wonderful test match yesterday. Yep. So Felix White, who was on uh, our podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about his new book. He, he is part of the Dream Boys and a number of other friends of ours from in and around the game, including John Surtees from Surrey, uh, who'll be leading the team uh, on the 17th, Friday afternoon, the 17th September. I need to mm-hmm. recruit a team. A lot of people on Discord have volunteered themselves to be there or to assist me, but I'm struggling on the, the bit where I find 11 human beings or 10 to play alongside me. I've got a couple of final word adjacent or former final word guests who are playing, but plenty mm-hmm. of spots to fill so please get in touch with me directly if you want to be part of this game maybe twitter slash discord is the way to do it cricket at gmail.com might be another the point here is that i am going to struggle to do the uh, number of hours that one might normally do for this sort of thing so the more help you can give me along the way the better uh, there are people jeff looking into streaming the game which is really cool uh, any support on that's appreciated as well there'll be a bar running at dulwich afterwards because they've shuffled their bloody juniors presentation night for us so it's up to us to wow. go into the bar afterwards and eat all of the food 
food and drink all mm-hmm. of the drinks uh, to make it worth their while. So you kind of get the picture. It's going to be a nice social event. Lovely people. So be there on the 17th. I would be there if I were not in a different country with uh, strict laws forbidding me from <laughs> leaving this country and being there. Uh, if not, I would be doing exactly as you say. Oh, and one more thing, Jeff, before we get into the, the uh, meat and drink of our show. This arrived in the post. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm showing it to the uh, YouTube camera okay. a couple of days ago. and D- I, Describe it for our audio-only well, well, audience. Well, it's a book by the name of Jimmy and the Wozler. And as soon as I undid the envelope, I sent you a photo <laughs> of it, Jeff, thinking that, well, first of all, one of our... Um, one of our storytime devotees or one of our patrons must have uh, bought this for uh-huh. me and, and found my address somehow and sent it through. And Jeff goes, no, 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 that was me. That was you. you uh, tell me how you found the book, Jimmy and the Wozler. And by way of background, the old Wozler <laughs> was a delivery that one of the former cricketers that we've talked about on Storytime called his, did he call it his quicker ball or something like that? Yeah, it probably wasn't his wrong and but yeah, it was. It um, might have been his wrong and actually. He might have called his wrong and the old Wozler. I think, in fact, I'm sure it was. It was the old Wozler. So I can't remember which cricketer it was, but it's become used euphemistically as we've gone through. This this is how I discovered the book because I was trying to – I had a mental blank about who employed the Wozler, (laughs) who who got the Wozler out on occasions when a Wozler would be um, useful to have out. And I was like, God, what was his name? What was his name? And I, I'd forgotten that his name was Jim Sims, which how oh, could yes, I forget? Of course, yes. um, very nearly the made-up boyfriend of Muriel in Muriel's wedding. And so I typed in, to my eternal regret, into I, I typed in cricket old Wasler. Every result that came up was our podcast or variations of our podcast, except there was one link through to an old books repository where for about £6.50, this edition of a book called Jimmy and the Wasler was on offer for sale. One copy left, no indication of what was in it, what it was about. Was it actually about Jim Sims and his bowling? All I could do was speculate, but I thought, look... I can either buy this or not buy this, but as if I'm not going to buy it. And it was a UK-only service that, that sent these books out. So luckily I know your address and, and punched it in. And now you're the proud owner. Well, the plot thickens somewhat because this book originally belonged to Dawn Melbourne, 15 okay. Scott Street, Cavelli Park, Adelaide, South Australia. So uh, Dawn wow. Melbourne from Adelaide in old-fashioned cursive handwriting that you might have... How did um, it end up in the UK? Yeah, Why well, was it, it, it was, it was pound ninety-five from Dobson's in the UK. Do you want me to read you the blurb? Would, okay. would that be would Yeah, that be please, because I've got no idea what it's about. Okay, let's give it a go. Uh, to Jimmy, an orphan, life was far from being the enjoyable adventure it was for his friends. Rather, it was a long succession of embarrassments. Shyness and his lack of confidence made his life a misery, and he suffered long the torments and bullying of his companions. His gang made him the object of their scorn, and to Jimmy there seemed no hope. His schooling was a disaster, and because he was so shy, he rarely spoke, even to ask a question. And the Wozler? Well, Wozling was an invention of Jimmy's newfound friend, the Tramp, who lived in a cave in a local <laughs> slag heap. Oh, look, I don't know about this. This is going off track. Here. It really is. Let me just read that last sentence. Who lived in a cave in a local slag heap. <laughs> Oh, Jimmy, okay. Jimmy's friendship with the old Irishman led to many startling changes in his character until finally he accomplished an act which demanded the highest degree of self-confidence. <laughs> well, not like Prince's act of self-confidence. Um, <laughs> if not downright bravery, uh, Jimmy had found himself. <laughs> this new book by S.B. Whitfield, author of The Amazing Mr. Fangle, <laughs> will add immeasurably <laughs> to his reputation as a first-class storyteller for children of all ages. 
Well, there you go. Uh, I'm looking well, forward to it. I wonder what you, year it was, you know, just to continue with this. Uh, it sounds like, I reckon, early 60s is my Oh, point. you've gone close there, 1967. 1967. So, uh, okay, well, between now and the next edition of the show, it looks like I might be able mm-hmm. to plough through that over a couple of sittings. So okay. I will read Jimmy and the Wazla, and I'll, I'll give you a book report on next week's final How week. is it? How is it that it has no relation to cricket or Jim Sims? I was like, surely this is a book about Jim Sims and, and the Wazla. Obviously, this author must have heard about Sims and the Wazla at some point to to turn that into sure. some sort of children's book. But, I mean, yeah, the suggestion this, I don't know, get ready to meet the amazing Mr. Fangle also sounds a bit well, suspect yeah, on that side well, of the yeah. ledger. And I wonder whether between now and the end of his illustrious test career, Jimmy Anderson might be able to do something that involves... Mm-hmm. His old Wazler. Wazling. Gosh, uh, that mm. sounds a bit suggestive. Um, <laughs> let me work on that. That might that might require some uh, fine-tuning, but you can see where I'm going. Hey, Jeff, before we go any further, yep. we have to have yep. an emergency session of... Satchin. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Satchin. Satchin. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Satchin. Jeff, it's happy birthday, Sachin, with a twist of sorts. Now, if you were watching The Daily Show yesterday, I told the little story of what happened to me at Stumps mm-hmm. when the game was over. I took a photo of India celebrating. Because there are no photographers that sit at the Vauxhall end of the ground, they normally congregate at the pavilion end of the ground in order to get the shot of the gasometer, which makes perfect sense. They want to get the frame that includes the famous gasometer and the field of play and the player celebrating. The galloping gasometer. The galloping gasometer. Well, because I was sitting at the other end, at the Vauxhall end, I was the only person, I mean, I haven't seen any other photos with with a proper camera of when umpire Wolf's finger went up to give out Jimmy Anderson, speaking of uh, Jimmy's old Wazler, to confirm the test match was over yesterday at the Oval. And that photo uh, also so popped off, uh, so much so that within about 10 minutes, Chitesh Pajara had pinched it and bunged it on his own Twitter. And mm. needless to say, he wasn't the last person to do this. While we were recording The Daily Show and talking about Pajara's theft, which was all in good spirits and all the rest of it, we, we've got a long-standing invitation for Chitesh to join, Chitesh to join, I should say, the show, and hopefully this, this will help advance that somewhat. Sachin Tendulkar was doing the same bloody thing. <laughs> Sachin has tweeted. I mean, we've got a fixation with Sachin's Twitter account uh, on our podcast, whether it's wishing people birthdays or uh, celebrating the militaristic nature of the Modi administration or anything in between. Uh, We love and we are fascinated by Sachin's Twitter account. And he has pinched one of my bloody photos to his 35 million (laughs) followers and picked up a handy 25,000 retweets, if you don't mind, umpire, with no credit. So I I immediately quote-tweeted Sachin and champed him, uh, said, can you please credit who took this photo, please champion. And that was, um, that, that has meant, Jeff, needless to say, my Twitter mentions have been a fucking circus for nearly 24 hours now and it's showing no sign of slowing down either uh, all, all thanks to all thanks to Sachin uh, and his Twitter account which we've loved for so many years I, I th- have thoroughly enjoyed the, the byplay I've read through a fair bit of it just for my own entertainment <laughs> uh, all of the people getting angry at you because you didn't put a watermark on your photo so this is a real fault. thing I, I'm copying I'm copying pelters because I didn't put 
a watermark yep. on a recreational photo that I put up <laughs> purely to celebrate India's victory. And look, at the end of the day, I don't care that much that Sachin hasn't credited, credited me. It just would have been nice because I would have picked up, you know, thousands of followers in the process. That's all. <laughs> I can't complain, though. But it's been a fun just- adventure. Uh, we had some other, like the, the Rajasthan Royals credited me in their tweet using the photo. Um, I think it's going in, well, I, I know it's going in a couple of publications. Our great mate Dan Toomey, who we used to work on White Line Wireless with, is printing me out a, a big copy of it when I get back to Australia, whenever that happens to be. From, so from Fisher Classics. From Fisher Classics. So yeah, it's 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 been a it's been a nice thing to happen to have had a photo that seemingly no one else has that angle and you'll be able to find it on my Twitter or on Sachin's Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, quite funny. Um, also quite funny that various outlets have been putting up the picture of Coley doing the trumpet at the Barbie Army. And I saw one, uh, can't remember which disreputable rag it was, but I think the headline was, the world is divided over Ferret <laughs> Coley to miming the trumpet. <laughs> I do not think that is true. I do not think the world is divided. <laughs> I do not think there is any global divide about this. I do not think anybody, frankly, gives a flying fuck aside from a very, very niche uh, part yeah. of a very niche market who cares about these sort of things. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, okay, so our friend and colleague from the Almanac, uh, Lawrence Booth, tweeted about this, which I think was probably the catalyst for a lot, mm. of the, a lot of the stories that followed. And I appreciate his perspective. I mean, I think it's a valid one that he said he, he finds it weird when a top-class sportsman isn't content with winning the game, having totally outplayed the opposition, but he wants to stick it to the fans too. Like, I get where Lawrence is coming from. But on the other side of it, I also think that it is pretty funny that Coley mm. turned to the Barmy Army where they were sitting and mimes the trumpet. They've got a new trumpeter, Jeff. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but yeah. the Barmy Army yeah, have got someone new doing it. I saw him and busking. And he's a bit nervous. He sounds a bit, you know, you yeah. can hear him. He sound, he's, he's not quite confident on the. There's only three pegs on a trumpet. Right? Hot tip, I'm going to let you in on a secret here. There's only three. It's not that complex, but he doesn't He doesn't sound like he's uh, he's fully believes in what he's doing. Yeah, well, he certainly has uh, a front. So I saw him doing a bit for social media, busking in the Vauxhall Tunnel mm-hmm. at the front of the station a couple of days ago, playing, you know, Jerusalem, followed by another Barmy mm-hmm. Army classic. I don't know what, what it was. But, yeah, my sense is I'm <laughs> not as... only got about two songs. Yeah, I'm not as anti-Barmy Army as other people are. Like, there are a lot of people out there who think the Barmy Army are a bunch of, you know, sunburnt gammon who, mm-hmm. you know, all a bunch of old white blokes, uh, you know, and have a very strong view about that. And I'm sure to an extent that is part of their clientele. I also think the Barmy Army do a lot of great work for charity and have been huge supporters of the game and enable mm. people to travel to watch England play who otherwise wouldn't have got the chance and some wonderful moments, not least uh, we, we actually talked to Emma John briefly about Dean Headley, but uh, that day in 98, 99 when they stormed the MCG when England won is one of my most defining cricket mm. memories. So I think they do a lot of good as well, even if they are a little bit self-referential singing about themselves all day long and all the rest of it. But I just get the feeling the new trumpeter, you say a bit of a lack of confidence on the tools, I'm not quite sure he knows the right time to play the songs. I think he. he uh, I think there are moments uh, where where the, the trumpet should be out, and there are moments when the trumpet should not be out. And I don't think he's quite bridged that yet. And that might be why Virat was inspired to mimic that uh, upon uh, taking Joe Root's wicket. That's just a hunch of mine. It's- there's some real old Wazler areas there at times when the trumpet should be out and times when it should not. Um, yeah, and, and the other point I would make is, yeah, Lawrence saying, um, not sure why a player would want to stick it to the fans. 
that's the group of fans who spend their entire time at the test match sticking it to the players. That is yeah. all they do. That is their purpose, their stated purpose. Their their intent when they go there is to get into that sort of relationship with the players. And so if it becomes a bit reciprocal and if it's, you know, good natured. Now, it's not like Virat's dropping the strides and you know, giving, them, <laughs> <laughs> giving them the old Burnley tunnel or something. He's not... He's, he's, it's playful. It's it's, uh, it's it, it, it would be seen as a bit of fun. You would have thought. Remember uh, when in the nineties that was quite a big thing to moon yeah. someone was a real out the real window thing. of a taxi was always a good one. You know, um, that was a popular one out the back the back seat of the cab as you as you left a night spot that sort of thing. Yes, yeah, to moon. Wow. Yeah. So well, uh, uh, look, maybe Coley can take that upon advisement. Maybe he can. Maybe get the old Wazzler out as well. Who's today? Um, Save that for Old Trafford. You know. <laughs> well, anything goes in that party stand. As you know, Jeff, in that in the temporary permanent temporary stand on the eastern side yeah. of the ground there at Old Trafford, anything goes, the good, the bad, the ugly <laughs> of the game. On the field, or what's about to be on the field, uh, Jack Leach back in the squad. Mm-hmm. A little bit surprised by that, actually. I thought they might have just not gone beyond Leach, but I thought that maybe, just maybe, given it's Old Trafford... They might play Matt Parkinson knowing that their mm-hmm. stated – well, Chris Silverwood's stated position is he doesn't want to give players debuts at the Ashes. Now, he may not get a chance to live through that if a number of England players don't come to Australia, and that's a very real thing uh-huh. at the moment. Make no mistake. There are a number of England players with school-age kids who – do not fancy at all the idea of their kids finishing term, coming out, being with them for five or six days and going home again. And I'm sure we'll get all the usual stuff about, oh, well, back in the good old days, they used to get the ship for six months. You know, Des yeah. Redford would swim from, you know, Dover to Calais, do a tumble turn and swim back, as they you know, said on Martin Malloy many yeah. years ago. Uh, it isn't, you know, industry standards have changed and, and community yeah. standards have changed. So players expect to be able to have their family with them, especially uh, in these conditions. So I'm sure that will be resolved, as you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, Jeff, but it's the problem with school term and how it mm. runs right up until the point where if they came out to Oz at that stage, they'd only get five or six days with the players before having mm. to go back the other way. So that's a bit of a watch this space. But on that basis, maybe they will mm-hmm. need to have players make their, their test debut in Australia. Nevertheless, yep. Jack Leach plays instead of Parkinson here and Josh Butler returns to the squad. Now, well, I didn't think he would I kind of got the impression that he would miss both test matches with his newborn child but the fact that Joss is back who's going to miss the 11 this week for England I Johnny I mean it's 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 probably best though isn't it he's had a pretty good series with the exception of I mean obviously he gets bowled by Bournemouth yesterday he's had an okay he's had an okay series yeah but he's made you know he's made 20s and 30s he hasn't and and he's you know made fourth ball ducks and and what yeah I mean he's I've never been entirely convinced by him as a test player. Even, you know, he had that one brilliant year where he made 1,600 runs or whatever it was. Yeah, but yeah. certainly in the last four or five years, he's he's been capable of doing things like the last day at Headingley where he makes whatever he made, 45 or something, in quick time. And that can be really valuable on its day, but it's not necessarily valuable. I mean, he's made a lot of very early ducks as well when he came in in India, batting at three and was getting out second ball, third ball, fourth ball. Yeah, there have been a lot of times when he hasn't done the business for England, put it that way. Yeah, he hasn't made himself undroppable, I suppose. What do you think about the Parkinson sort of idea? I mean, a wrist spinner in Australia, to my way of thinking, especially one that can turn the ball like this guy. And it's not like he's a kid mm-hmm. anymore either. He's 26. Like It feels like very capable cricketer. 
and I know he's not playing in the championship right this very moment, but you know, body of work stuff across the year. He's playing white ball cricket for England periodically. Well, he was. He's been in squads. I mean, he, I mean, you know, wouldn't you just play him? He played Champo the other week because he was he was playing in the the Yorkshire draw. I don't think Hampshire. he's playing this week. I think they've left him out this week. But but nevertheless, like right. it's it's kind of like across the season. He put in a real shift when Lancashire were trying to bowl at Warwickshire on the last day of their match the other week. Uh, it was pretty flat. It was very defensive. Parkinson had the ball 45 overs in that innings. There wasn't much doing, but he still picked up four wickets. He made things happen. He he bowled Dom Sibley around his legs when Sibley was looking to be very defensive and you know just tried to sweep one away and it got around behind the pads and, and bowled him, got it to turn that much out of the rough. He got big turn as well, had one caught it slip uh, into the bargain and got that bit of extra bounce as well. He was able to rag them where nobody else really looked a threat. And so, I mean, that seemed notable that in a match where really nothing was happening on that last day, he was the one player who was able to make something happen, to get something happening. So it'd be pretty hard if you were Jack Leach and you got sent back to Somerset and then another spinner gets jumped back into the squad ahead of you. That's not really looking after Leach, but is Jack Leach going to win England the Ashes in Australia? Kind of doubt it. Is a leg spinner going to be maybe more used than a than a left-arm orthodox. I mean, finger spinners don't generally come to Australia and have a good time. No, that, that's right. That, that was certainly the case for Mo and Ali last time around, and he's the incumbent spinner right now. So do they play two spinners at Old Trafford? Probably, because Moen's in the top seven. Anyway, time will tell. There's only two days until the next test, so we'll find out soon. As for India, I don't think anyone really knows whether Rohit Sharma and Chiteshwar Pujara are playing this week after their niggles. Uh, we don't know an awful lot more about the support staff who contracted COVID either. In addition to Ravi Shastri, there was two more positive cases, we believe, but they've been sort of keeping a, a fairly straight bat about all of this. So I suppose from India's perspective, it's just all about ramming home the advantage and winning 3-1. The incentive is there to actually win the series rather than simply to, to draw it at, at two apiece. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that uh, that India will almost certainly be in a position where they can rotate their fast bowlers. Mohamed Shami was a niggle, but he he was wearing the red vest the whole week. I don't think it was an... Mm-hmm. You know, by that I mean he was running out drinks and running out gloves. So whatever the niggle was didn't preclude him from doing that. Yeah. So maybe He wasn't Shammy, on the table getting, you know, his quad intensively worked on or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So presumably Shami returns and they can, you know, maybe you shuffle think out Siraj, or Siraj, Siraj, good shout. Siraj has played non-stop, so you would think that he would miss the last test in order to have a rest. He looked a bit cooked at the Oval. He was the one bowler who wasn't really influential at the Oval. I suppose Boomer is maybe due a rest as well, but I don't think they will rest him. He's just too valuable. And when you look at the forecast, that test is going to be interrupted. They're probably, well, they're India. They're definitely not going to be bowling 90 over days anyway. <laughs> They'll be yes. bowling 80 tops. Yes. And if you, if you throw rain into the equation, maybe they're bowling anywhere between 10 and 60 overs in a day. So even when they are bowling, there won't be that as heavy a load on the quicks. Let's shift gears to the England-New Zealand women's series. Uh, I'm not sure how much mm. of this you've caught so far, Jeff, but Chelmsford was a very a easy win for, for the home side. Tammy Beaumont made 97. They picked up Susie Bates and Sophie Devine in the space of the first like four overs, which was effectively game over. It was quite a sloppy That's performance it. from New Zealand. Far different at Hove, though. Um, so I went from uh, the Test match on Saturday down to Hove to do that game for television. And New Zealand 
I mean, they did what they needed to do, didn't they? Early wickets, which they failed to do in the previous game. They mm-hmm. fielded magnificently. Uh, Hannah Rowe, running around at deep backward square, took a stunning catch. It was a great snaffle at point. Uh, they pegged the stumps down at one stage. So they were able to keep England in check. Sophie mm-hmm. Devine at one stage was on a hat trick in her 100th T20 international. Uh, and then she walked out and, and batted 50 quickly mm-hmm. to lay yeah. the base. Um, Susie Bates was out, run out early to Maddie Villiers, who run out. She executed one. Run out and took three screaming catches, one in the deep where her whole body was off the ground diving forward, and one of her own bowling, which was hammered back at her. But in the end, they, they couldn't drag it back enough to, to keep New Zealand to, I think they, they needed to defend about 127 mm. or something like that. So it was a much better, higher standard of game, albeit a lower scoring game. But yeah, great to see Sophie Devine, who missed all that cricket earlier this year with uh, trying to look after her mental health, uh, back leading this team, making runs, taking wickets, and, and getting them on the board early in the series. Yeah, Maddie Villiers is a live wire in in that sense. Makes things happen, put it in inverted <laughs> commas, makes things happen, got to go to India. I really like Hannah Rowe as well, uh, what she's done in the team the last little while. She's a player with, uh, what do they say? She's got a bit about her, Hannah Rowe. Got a, um, and do you remember when we met her? Do you remember when we met her at the 2017 World Cup when we were thrown? Oh, I don't yeah. know if you, we, we were sitting, uh, we were doing TMS, it was you, me and perhaps yep. Lydia, mm-hmm. and at the lunch interval when we were filling, we just had Hannah Rowe brought up to us. And, I mean, with respect to Hannah, she was probably 19 at the time and played about two games, certainly hadn't played in that World Cup. And we had to mm-hmm. try and find a way of doing about 20 minutes on air with her, interviewing her. I recall it being quite hard graft, but she was obviously very friendly, which is why <laughs> she was doing uh, the media rounds. And, yeah, now very much a part of that seam attack uh, in both 20 and 50 over cricket. Also noticed that Jess Kerr has kept doing the thing she does, which is take early wickets. And with these crazy in-swingers, she's yeah. she's rivalling Megan Shute for the UFO in-swinger. And, and she was doing this through the games that she was playing in the last nine months or so as well. But, you know, starting it almost off the cut strip and then, you know, <laughs> in it goes and somehow just curves in and hits the stumps. So she's coming to her own. Jessica in that she's had the Tim Wigmore older sibling syndrome you know the older sibling's not as good at cricket as the younger one because if your youngest sister is Amelia Kerr and she's in the team at 16 and bowling ripping leg breaks and making double tons it's a bit hard to to match up but um Jessica has started to well has has successfully hit her stride as that opening swing bowler so that's been nice to see but I do note the uh look New Zealand got a win I said they might not get one on tour they did get one but still entirely reliant on Sophie Devine she had to take the wickets she had to make the runs and basically when she doesn't do it they don't win yeah i should say uh, in passing that Susie bates played a 126 t20 the other night as well which means she's played more than anybody more runs well, than anyone in women's yeah. t20 she can't bowl on she, this tour she said to me last she's week played, I, she, she's played as many t20s as shane watson made runs at mahali in 2000 <laughs> That's, uh, that's a big milestone for any player. Yes, there's some story time for you there, some connecting the dots. No, but she can't bowl anymore, and she told me that she's actually quite glad. She can't bowl at the moment. She's quite enjoying uh, getting more time in the nets to bat at training rather than having to go yeah. out and bowl. So You mentioned Amelia Kerr. They're missing her. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're missing her. And that's not a reflection on Lee Kasprick, by the way, who's been really effective. Uh, you know, her numbers are outstanding, but mm. she did have 54 runs taken off her in four overs at Chelmsford, which is the, the most ever uh, for a New Zealand bowler in that 
form of the game. So hopefully mm. Amelia is going well. She didn't want to make the trip again, sort of for mental health reasons. She wanted to not go through the fairly rigorous uh, COVID processes and bubbles and, and all the rest of it. And, and fair enough. So that's the, the England New Zealand Women's Series. It continues at Taunton on Thursday uh, in the short mm-hmm. form. And then we're into five one day internationals up at Leicester and Derby and all the usual places that the women mm-hmm. get sent at this time of year. So I'll be at all of those and we'll keep a watching brief on it on the final yeah, word the, week to week. The Isle of Sky, like Bonnie Prince, whatever his name was. Yeah, well, it's, it's the, put it this way. They play at the grounds of the counties, Jeff, that you don't know an awful lot about, which you've said before mm-hmm. on the show. It's like all the counties that you don't have a huge relationship with, that's where the women are playing. The ones in the middle. Yeah, the ones in the middle, that's it. Uh, speaking well, of they're the ones I've spent most time at, actually. I've spent a lot of time at, at Derby Shoes uh, Ground and I've spent a lot of time at Leicester. Leicestershire. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I'd, I'd, and a fair bit of time at Worcester, actually, at New Road. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so maybe I know them better than some of the others. And Canterbury, too, I should say. That's another ground you've done a couple of games at. So, mm. fair enough. Uh, speaking of the New Zealand team, the men, they're in Bangladesh, in Dhaka, to be precise, playing 5T20s. An interesting one where they've sent everyone who isn't in their World Cup squad in order to fulfil their responsibilities as a touring team, as a good global citizen. New Zealand are like, mm. no, no, that's okay. We'll make it work. Nice contrast there between the way New Zealand interpret these these matters and, and some other countries. So I think we'll see a lot more of that. I mean, look at what India did with Sri Lanka a couple of months ago. I was talking with Matt Floyd, my colleague from the Middlesex stream, who was over there doing that series. And his impression is that mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot more of India being able to send two teams out at the same time where required if COVID mm-hmm. continues to make travelling difficult. So New Zealand are in Dhaka on that basis. They got bowled out for 60 in the first game, which wasn't ideal. Mustafiza, who's had a really good couple of months, took three for, but then they uh, then uh, Bangladesh were able to defend 141 in the second game. Tom Latham, who's captaining this New Zealand team, made 65 not out, but it wasn't enough. They fell four runs short. And then, Jeff, in the third game, New Zealand bounced back. They bowled out Bangladesh for 76 after Henry Nichols uh, made 36 not out to get them to 128 first. And our man AJ's Patel he took four for 16 of course we both loved the way that he went about it um, against England at Edgbaston a few months ago earlier in the summer but uh, uh, yes he's making an impact with the white ball too he's one of those beautiful players who looks like a club cricketer probably is a club cricketer and yet just has the level of skills to be able to to bump things up I was just thinking that um, when you were talking about Matt Floyd and the Middlesex broadcast if, if Felix uh, runs the Oval Dream Boys. You and Matt Floyd could be the Lord's Stream Boys. Oh, that is so good. Maybe we should be. Floydy is an excellent cricketer. He made a first-class 100, Floydy, so, <laughs> for Oxford against Cambridge many years ago in the varsity game. So, uh, <laughs> we used to play uh, together years ago, so I'm sure he'll be up for that. Just before we move off Bangladesh, of course, mm. I missed this when they pumped Australia a few weeks ago. They're actually not in the T20 World Cup. I mean, they oh, could yeah. make it, but they've got to go through the qualification process. The ICC mm. will have you believe that the T20 World Cup begins with, gosh, is it 12 teams down to 10 or something like that? But make no mistake, that qualification tournament just before is not the World Cup. It's a qualifier that happens just before the World Cup. So Bangladesh mm-hmm. under Marmadola, who's captaining them at the moment, will have to get out of a group that includes Scotland, Oman and Papua New Guinea. Now, on current mm-hmm. form, they'll shit it in. But nevertheless, that they are going to be playing. That might actually play to their advantage, actually, getting some cricket in which isn't practice matches, actually full match international practice. match practice there in situ. Yeah. I think they're playing those not in. They're playing those in Oman, aren't they? So that'll be before they move over to... Uh, Man Oman. Man Rob Man. Guest. 
got, they're going to knock the teams that don't win into yeah, the pool. They're going to push PNG into the pool, <laughs> push Oman, push Scotland into the pool. <laughs> if, you're not, one of our, if you're one of tonight. our new Indian uh, watchers and listeners, uh, that's going to be quite hard to explain. YouTube, yeah. Man O' Man 90s pool, and you, I don't know, you might yeah. find some fun stuff. Can I also note that... <laughs> So I've been having some correspondence with Rushan Alam, who hosts the Bungla mm. Cricket mm. Podcast, who is completely perplexed that on various uh, recent scorecards, including some from the BCB, uh, they've been listing Mamadula as Mahmud Space Ulla. He's <laughs> like, oh. it's not, it's not two names. <laughs> Rushan is like, this has never been two names. Yeah. there's never been any debate about this. What is going on here? But Mahmud Ulla has played a few games as opposed to Mamadula, <laughs> who's. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a real howler, especially if the BCB yeah. are putting out those cards. I think it was a BCB one. I, I won't. I won't swear to it, but I think that was how it. Maybe it was on the. I think it was on the team sheet on the paper team sheet. Right, that right. They'd printed out and handed around at the ground because someone had put a photo up of it. So yeah, or or as per my, uh, who is LL Cool J, right? With the Mo um, is going to knock you out. That was my. That was my favourite gag of the 2015 World Cup when Bangladesh <laughs> took out England in the semis. Mamadullah's going to knock you out. <laughs> uh, did. J- Jeff, let's stay in, in that broad corner of the world and uh, talk about Pakistan for a moment. I am not across this tale or this yarn uh, whatsoever. Misbah <laughs> Al-Haq, no longer the coach of Pakistan. Uh, please inform me. Well, he's quit, you know, uh, ostensibly. that He's decided that. COVID life sucks. He's he's done two years as the coach. Um, he's got one more left on his contract. And they announced their World Cup squad, their T20 World Cup squad, and within a few hours, Ms. Barr had also done a press conference that said, I'm done um, because okay. I don't want to go back into another, you know, the next, basically the next six or eight months or whatever it is will be very intense with travel and bubbles and he yep. he doesn't feel up to it. So it's sort of that Amelia Kerr style of thing, which I think, you know, we're seeing more and more of. He said, um, I understand that the timing may not be ideal was, was his diplomatic approach, but he said, I don't think I'm in the right frame of mind for the upcoming challenges. And so that also means that just after that, Wacko Yunus, who's the bowling coach, said he'll quit as well because he said, I came into this job with Misbah and I will go out of it. With Misbah, oh, I came right. into this world with nothing, and I will go out with nothing as well. So they were together; they were they were bros in in that capacity, and so they've decided to go out at the same time, which is you know it's really sweet in a way. It's really nice friendship areas, you know. Best best friend friendship with uh, Watson <laughs> Graham ended. Best friend is Wacko Yunus, you know. <laughs> Perhaps my favourite all-time meme being referenced there, if you're not familiar. Okay, well, duly noted. That's a shame because I, I kind of thought that the Misbah era, you know, going almost immediately from captain to coach, mm. he could end up having sort of the longest reign in charge that anyone's ever had yeah. in Pakistan. But that, And that I, was thinking, I was thinking of Misbah just yesterday because uh, I was noting that, that India had whitewashed the tour of London um, having won at Lords and having won at the Oval, and yes. and so I was thinking about the the previous teams to whitewash the tour of London. Uh, with the last one was Pakistan in 2016, and before that the Australians in 2015. 2015, one two nil yeah. on the tour of London. So yeah, I was thinking about Misbah and the push ups at Lords, and uh, you know Yasir Shah at the Oval and all the rest of it. And but yeah, now now he's gone. His beautiful bearded visage will grace our screens as Pakistan coach no more until probably he gets the job back in about two years' time because that's how things roll. I made some joke at the time in 2016 about when they won in they won in London, didn't they, Pakistan? And they didn't win 
anywhere else. They lost at Old Trafford and yeah. they lost at Edge. It was a Desmond. It was a 2-2 result. Mm. Something yeah. to the effect of it was the reverse Brexit where oh, yeah, I tried to draw some parallel between <laughs> Pakistan loving London and London hating Brexit and the rest of the country. Anyway, something like that. It was tortured, I'm sure. Right, so that, that's what's going on in Pakistan. Bringing things back to where I am in the UK, we're not going to do a full county cricket round up today because we're halfway through a round. All I would say is that last week, uh, and we'll do this properly at the end of the second round is what I mean. So we're in the divisional phase at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's the race to the race through September, the race for Lords, whatever they're calling it. It's not uh, a race. It's not Notts, a competition. <laughs> Notts having a huge innings win over Somerset, though. I think most people looked at the Division 1 table when it was framed up and thought, well, you know, this could be the year for Somerset. But they were pumped by Notts and then they were beaten even more brutally by Yorkshire inside two days. So they've had two innings defeats to start mm. the divisional phase. And I, w- I would go as far to say that Somerset season is over. And now Knots have leapfrogged them. They're in second. Yorkshire are on top, which could mean, provided Knots knock off Lancashire in the round that's currently being played, they're in day two of their match at the moment. And uh, it, it could mean we have a winner-takes-all final round between Yorkshire and Knots. We'll build on this next week, and if things mm-hmm. keep trending that way, wouldn't that be wonderful? Just as it was uh, in 2016 when Yorkshire were playing Middlesex at Lords, and Middlesex got the job mm-hmm. done with like 20 minutes to go or something like that, and when Essex played Somerset down in uh, Taunton a couple of years ago in that rain-affected game, that was also winner-takes-all. So, yeah, that'd be a nice way to end the round-robin of the divisional phase, and then we have the Bob Willis Trophy after that between teams one and two, which will be a five-day game at Lords uh, to take us into October. So, We'll keep an eye on the county championship through this month of September with it all really heating up. And Jeff, with that all said, I think before we go to our break, we should find time for just a little bit of... Nerd Pledge! Nerd Pledge. It is the game that we play with the people on our Patreon page. It's a reverse quiz, the final words own reverse quiz, in which you quiz us. Uh, What happens is that we need help to support the show. We need people to contribute, to, to fund us making the show twice a week. And people, bless them, do that. And they send in contributions, but not a normal round number of currency, a very specific number, because that number relates to cricket in some way. For instance, our nerd pleasure today is Doc Galland. G'day, Doc. I'll have an appendix out if there's any going cut rate. Don't need it. What's it there for? <laughs> Weird little squidgy bit of, like, you know, leftover primordial junk to, I don't know, digest raw vegetable matter or something. Get rid of it. <laughs> Doc Gowland has sent in $2.61 in Australian dollars. So two sixty one. that's the number, which means it could mean 261, 261,000, any sort of variation on 261. And I have left this to Adam to try to interpret 261 in a way that will be pleasing for me and for you. And hopefully it'll be pleasing for you, Doc, noting that I didn't pay attention to the currency. So I'm about to do something that's got nothing to do with Australian cricket, but I hope you appreciate the link back to our <laughs> previous conversation. I and look forward a, to having this as a revisit on Storytime when we have to work out what the real number means. Uh, okay, so <laughs> this is very relevant to a game of county championship cricket going on right now where okay. Middlesex have piled on about 700 for five down at Hove, Sussex playing um, six teenagers at the moment, which is very unusual. Sam Robson, uh, Australian former Australian under-19 player and England Test player, Sam Robson made 253. And as he was batting today, I was okay. looking up who's made the highest scores for Middlesex 
all time, thinking to myself that he's a decent chance of, of going all the way to the mm-hmm. top. The highest score ever for Middlesex was 331 by Jack Robinson, Robertson rather, uh, in 1949 at New Road, the ground you were talking about a little little while ago. A, a man who mm-hmm. played in that glory era for Middlesex after the war and should have played a lot more than 11 test matches, alas. So I was already looking through this chart when I saw the number come in, 261. And 261, I'm like, aha, that's a very relevant number to something that you and I have talked about before, Jeff, and relates to Middlesex because 261 is what John Carr made in 1994 at Lords against Gloucestershire. Let me tell you why this is good. And you're going to eventually you're going to remember this because I think you and I have talked about it before. Maybe not on story time, but we've talked about it in our private time. Just recreationally. That's what we do. We talk about these matters. So John Carr was a a, a diligent, gutsy batsman Mm -hmm. who... It was appropriate that he played for Middlesex because he was born on a house that Mm -hmm. was adjoining Lords. He actually retired... This is as opposed to John LeCar, who wrote The Spy Who Came In From Nicole. It is. It is definitely yeah, okay. as opposed to that. He retired okay. in 1989 to go into banking, but he made a comeback in 92. And by 94, he's like a you know a 10-year veteran of the club, uh, kind of doing his thing. He knows his game. Anyway, He so, retired to go into banking. Well, you know. Really? Banking. It wasn't unusual for players to finish their careers uh, <laughs> prematurely uh, in the sort of... Oh. Uh, you, you remember, there were six-month contracts back then, so it yeah. wasn't completely unusual if you had a, a better career with more money to, to move on to that. Mm. That wouldn't perhaps happen so much It just much makes me think that, like, all of the Bay 13 guys who would have been leaning over the fence going, you are a banker, <laughs> you know, it would have would have been apt. He would have been, yes, I actually am, albeit briefly. Yes. So, uh, Would you like in- some financial <laughs> advice? <laughs> he's back in 92. And this is 94, so we're two years on from that. And he's having okay. one hell of a season. And we're in September 94, when Mark Ramprakash is out at 45 for three. Of course, he was Middlesex before he was Surrey. John Carr walks in at 289 mm. balls later. He's 261 not out when Middlesex declare at 513 clip. for seven. It's a really good clip, especially then, pre you know, pre-T20 mm. and all the rest of it. He had great support from Paul Weeks, who made 94. Paul, who I mentioned Hampstead before in the context of Matty Floyd. Paul, who played for Hampstead as well for a long time. And I once hit him for a six at the, at the main ground there at Lymington Road, where, um, <laughs> Jeff, you and, I did a, you and I did a live show a couple of years ago. Anyway, so he makes this 261. And the Middlesex have their final game of the season against Northants called off for rain. Well, they, they play like a day, but he doesn't bat in it. So that's his final innings of the season. His season finishes 78, 171, 136, 106, 40, 62, 261, not out. Now, when I say 94 in the county championship, Jeff, you might mm. remember a, a chap by the name of BC Lara who was playing up the motorway at Warwickshire that season. Doing okay. And made nine centuries, famously, including his unbeaten yeah. 501. You, you probably know including, the story. <laughs> including eight in a row, I think. Eight, yes. eight in consecutive <laughs> innings or something like that. And and who was it who'd, who'd brought him there? It was, uh, it was our mate who got hit in the head half an hour into his test career, Andy Lloyd. Andy Lloyd, uh, that's right. In 1984. He was running the show at Warwickshire at the time and was the one who in charge of recruiting Lara. So Lara finishes the season with a truly ridiculous 2,066 runs at 89.8. You know, nine tonnes, just bonkers numbers Mm -hmm. across the board. And Carr, John Carr, Carzy, as he's known, that's his nickname, Carzy. Oh, good. um, That's good. That's original, yeah. Finished the season with, in the county championship, on the back of that incredible run, 1,321 runs at 88. So just beneath Lara with five centuries. So a great season, you know, 
for the yep. veteran just below Lara. But because he made 102 for Middlesex A against England A mm-hmm. back in April, which was a first-class fixture, and he made 50-odd not out against the New Zealanders in a tour game, and he made 55 not out against Cambridge, also a first-class game uh, back in that era. His overall first-class season was 1,542 runs at 90.7, thus edging out Lara. John Carr was the leading man on the first-class averages in the season where Brian Lara (laughs) made an unbeaten 501, made 2,066 runs at 89.8. It's one of those great trivia questions you occasionally hear around the traps over here. When he finished playing first-class cricket a couple of years later, he joined the TCCB, which became the ECB, and he's been running cricket ops and county cricket ever since. I dealt with him a couple of years ago because it was put to me by somebody that John Carr might have been the man who conceived of the Super 6 for the 1999 Cricket World Cup. He denies that. He remembers being in the meetings, but he doesn't think it was his idea, mm-hmm. strictly speaking, but he knows he was there at the time. In any case, a long and distinguished career uh, in the service of the game after he finished playing, and he had that marvellous season of 1,542 runs, beating Lara, and he completed it with 261, not out at Lords against Gloucestershire. 1994, so the, it was the year. The 261 for Doc Gallen could be the innings that was vital to averaging more than Lara in the greatest year that anybody can remember in the county champs. I love it. Uh, Doc Galland, drop us a message, get in the DMs on Patreon. Let us know if we're anywhere near it. If we're not, as I suspect we might not be, give us a hint (laughs) and we'll come back to it on Storytime at some stage in the weeks to come. It's uh, what else is going to happen? Oh, Doc, did you know what? Here's a a little turn up for the books. Uh, You get to give someone a slab. You get to give away a slab of Brick Lane beer. You can give it away to yourself if you happen to be in Australia. Or if you're not, you can give it away to uh, anybody else who's in Australia. Or even if you are in Australia and you don't want it and you'd like to give it to someone else, you can do that. All of these things are within your power. They're all within your control, uh, Brick Lane make delicious beverages you might have heard about them off the top of the show if you're someone who enjoys that sort of thing hop into i don't know a can of the the one love pale ale or the the backyarder session lager or you know the low alcohol offerings uh, that they've got as well they've got sours full of fruit they've got all kinds of things you can have a look at their website bricklanebrewing.com and check them out yeah, it's something you can look forward to if you're in lockdown uh, in Melbourne at the moment. When, when we're out of lockdown, uh, when you're out of lockdown, I should say, I still feel like a, a Melburnian when, when seeing uh, you know the obvious challenges that are going on in Victoria and around Australia at the moment. You can visit them at their tap room there at the Queen Victoria Market. That's going four nights a week. Or in Dandenong South, which is where I'm from, in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne. We've noted before that they use uh, world's best practice standards with making their beer, which means they emit fewer emissions than they otherwise would they use local resources use less water especially they use lots of local resources which means they hire lots of local staff it's great for the local economy there in victoria proudly australian owned so yeah we are uh, thrilled to be associated with brick lane they're wonderful supporters of ours again we keep getting these photos in on twitter which i love of people tagging in brick lane and tagging in us when they're enjoying a beer which they bought from the bottle shop at the moment you can do that too and follow them on social media in their handles as jay mentioned in his voiceover at the start and um, there's also a, a brick lane brewing hoodie i know we're coming to the end of winter in Melbourne, in Australia. You can wear a hoodie in Melbourne in January. Like, you never know. <laughs> That's right. You, you will need a hoodie. And if you're in other parts of Australia as well, you know, there will be another winter and you will have a nice Brick Lane hoodie. And in, in the process, you'll be, uh, you'll be helping out the final words. So let them know that we sent you 
and that will be lovely for they are doing the right thing by us. Bricklanebrewing.com.au. Jeff, we're going to take a break. And after it, we're going to be talking to Emma John about the important work that she's been doing. Uh, and after that, we're going to talk a little bit more about the great game of cricket. Hi, I'm Natalie Jemanis, and you listen to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Good people doing good things, a thing that we like on this show. And uh, where a whole lot of those good people congregate is at Lord's Taverners events. They raise money to put on programs uh, across the UK and, and also other programs overseas, looking to help, particularly help kids and young people who are living with disability or living in disadvantaged situations. That's something that's even more front of mind after watching the Paralympics over the, the last couple of weeks and a lot of the stories about the the difficulty that so many of those athletes had in reaching the Paralympics, in, in getting the opportunities that they had to, to find sports that they could excel in. And, and that's the kind of thing that Lord's Tavs try to do with cricket, particularly using cricket as a, a mechanism to, uh, to help out kids who need it. And they do that by raising funds in a whole lot of different ways. And uh, there are a few of those coming up. Yes, there are. And yeah, I, I share that sentiment. I worked on the Paralympics in 2012 and it was one of the most rewarding things I've done in my life. And the people I met through that experience, you know, lifelong friends. So yeah, I like it. What Lord's Tavs do runs alongside the spirit of the, the Paralympics. And uh, yeah, it does mean that when it comes to raising funds for those, um, be it living with disability or at a disadvantage in other parts of their life, that we're able to help support that on the final word. Uh, coming up on September the 12th, for example, is the Great North Run. Uh, that's a half marathon. The Brighton Marathon's on the same day. Lord's Tavs supporting that as ever. It's too late to run, but you can donate or get down to cheer people on. Uh, there's a range of golf days coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. Basically, because we can get outdoors and do stuff again, that means the Lord's Tavs are in overdrive mm-hmm. raising money. Uh, there's a game today uh, the Lord's Tavs have been playing up at Wormsley. I, I, I think they were playing the Authors 11 today, which is a, a club, Jeff, you and I have had a bit to do with over the years. So, yeah, this is a really great time to hopefully offer yourself to make a contribution if you uh-huh. want to and there are other fun ways too it doesn't have to be some physical crazy challenge you can you can do it in a in a less stressful straining way mm. well if you don't want to get out and about and you want to stay home this this is this particularly tickled me because i love some of the random ideas that people come up with for, <laughs> for things that might be fun so september 15th this is something you can still get involved with okay. they're doing an online live cook along now if we're talking about randomness here right you, you pay 40 quid and then they send you a box of ingredients and they send you a bunch of free beers as well, which have been donated, so they they come included. Uh, And you'd get online and you do an online course where you get taught to make Indian food by Matthew Hoggart and Farouk Engineer (laughs) together at last on the live stream. I'm going to do this. I mean, provided I I don't know what I'm doing work-wise that day, but if I can learn how to cook... With Farouk Engineer. Uh, he, he gets shown up every time anyone's playing at Lords, really. He's often there entertaining and, and generally being a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful member of the cricketing community, Farouk Engineer. And the fact that Ma- Matthew Hoggard's thrown into the mixture as well, uh, I'm sure he knows his way around a, 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 a ticker chicken masala as well, that being the national dish over here. So what a great combination. 15 September. Who wouldn't want to be part of that? If you're listening right now and you want to do that with me, 
provided I can do it around work, not looking at my schedule, I'd love to do it with a few people from the final <laughs> Patreon community. That'd be a lot of fun. So a couple of weeks after being asked by Jonathan Agnew whether he ever sold Christmas trees, Matthew Hoggard has found himself teaching people how to make Indian food. They do have support, I should note. They've got an actual chef with them, Nidhi Verma, who's who's an Indian uh, specialist chef. So, you know, I'm not sure how much heavy lifting Hoggy will be doing in terms of, but he'll be there. Um, and so that's, you know, I love the kind of things people come up with. It's like, who doesn't want to be taught how to make cucumber writer by Matthew Hoggard? <laughs> that's, that's what I'd like to see. He can make a cucumber talk, that guy. Absolutely. Lordstaverners.org. It's all in the show notes. Uh, we love supporting them and, and it's wonderful having them as a partner of The Final Word. G'day guys, this is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It's The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon and I'm sitting in the living room in North London of a Guardian journalist, former Wisden Cricket Monthly writer. She's worked pretty much everywhere really, a- a- acclaimed author as well. It's Emma John. Hello, Emma. Hello. Emma, off the top, uh, the, the conversation we're about to have between two white men and a white woman, it might seem a fraction unusual to be having uh, a conversation about black cricketers in England, but um, that's what you've been writing about uh, recently for The Guardian over the weekend. There's been an extraordinary documentary uh, made called You Guys Are History by Mark Butcher, which you are going to going into as well. On The Final Word in the past, we've had a number of people on talking about uh, issues around race and cricket in England, but given you've been on the tools of late, it felt like the right time to talk to you and, and about what we've all, I suppose, learnt from watching and reading over the last 12 months especially. What got you into this? What was the reason why you thought uh, this was a topic that you were going to sink your teeth into? Well, I mean, I should say straight off the bat, this is entirely inspired by the documentary. Right. Uh, P- Patrick Marks made this fantastic documentary, You Guys Are History. It was on Sky and they, they put it on during the lunchtime intervals at the Oval Test. but. Yep we got advance notice that that was happening. And part of the reason I knew that was happening was because Tom Shaw, uh, quite separately, the photographer Tom Shaw, is doing a project. He describes it as a personal project, actually, where he has been um, taking portraits of all 21 black cricketers to play for England. And so he had... That's something I also knew about, partly because that exhibition is going to hang in the at Lords in the museum at Lords next year so I knew that was coming up because I'm a little bit involved with the museum at Lords being on the heritage (laughs) and collections committee at MCC so there's this anniversary you know it's 40 years since uh, Roland Butcher became the first black cricketer to play for England and there's these two projects that are both happening at the same time. Tom Shaw had also been talking to Patrick Marks and, and Mark Butcher, um, who were making the documentary, and he'd 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 got involved with that. And actually, in a way, that's one thing that's been really nice about this, is that it's a subject that is so big and so important that there's been a real kind of sharing of the stories that everyone is just keen to share these stories. When I said to you know Patrick Marks, oh you know we'd like to do this piece for the guardian he was very very happy to you know be like yes who can and tom as well when we said you know tom you know want to run these pictures of yours in the guardian yes great you know how can we help put you in touch with people you know let us tell you what they've been talking to us about let us give you all the information let us show you the documentary ahead of time because i think you know everybody feels like this is a, a subject that 
just d- definitely needs to be talked about more and understood and understood more by people I would say people like me who've grown up with an England team that actually had quite a few black cricketers playing in it quite a few sort of heroes mm. England heroes and the fact that these numbers are in decline um, that, that hasn't really been talked about the fact that these cricketers actually experienced you know some some pretty racial stereotyping in the way that that they were talked about including by the media hasn't really been talked about so that was how it sort of came to be was that every you know the people who had already done the work which is Tom Shaw and Patrick Marks and Mark Butcher who who did the interviews uh, very much kind of you know came to me and said this is what we've got Right, yeah, some fairly confronting, harrowing examples of explicit racism which is spelled out in, in both your piece and the documentary. I think for mine, it's, and you touched on it there a little bit in your first answer, that we're being told that as white people we need to listen. It's not so much about what we think and our impressions of what we've seen. It's like listen, pay attention, uh, acknowledge uh, and I think that your piece largely does that. I mean, it's in the words of a number of former black cricketers and uh, who have been through the system, who've had these experiences, and, and you kind of went to work in, in talking to them and telling their stories. Yeah, so, yeah, and f- as somebody who works in the media, it's really confronting and challenging, to be honest, because it makes you immediately think, wait, what have I written in the past? What narratives have I contributed to? What have I what have I repeated unthinkingly that is you know that that could be just prolonging a stereotype or, or or have been derived from from some kind of stereotype? Chris Lewis for me is is the the real one. I, I Chris Lewis is somebody I didn't talk to for my piece actually. He's somebody who comes up in the documentary and he he gave a brilliant and apparently incredibly kind of long and detailed interview with Mark Butcher. So I think there's every chance that there will be a lot, that that whole interview might come out separately at another point because there's a whole load of things that Chris Lewis talked about in that interview, which, you know, didn't make it into what is, you know, has to be quite a highly edited documentary. Mm. And for me, reading and, and listening to him say in the documentary about how how he understood what Joffrey Archer was going through. You know, when the narrative around Joffrey Archer's bowling is, why isn't he bowling fast all the time? You know, it, it, he makes it look so easy. So how come he can, you know, bowl that faster at Lords in the Ashes, but then in the next game, he's down a few miles an hour, he doesn't look so threatening. And this, this kind of insidious sense that because we're looking at it and it looks so easy and because there are these kind of racial stereotypes of athletes bodies and black athletes bodies and how easy things come for them and then plus the extra you know very historic racial stereotyping of things that you know are way worse than that you know laziness I mean that's one that Chris Lewis talked about the idea that you know oh you know this black guy is just he's he's just he's just not really up for it he's just a bit he's too laid back too late I mean laid back is the classic word isn't it because that's what's been associated with so much Caribbean cricket down the years and it's insidious because it kind of works against the idea that people are actually like busting their gut and doing their very best so that was one that was really challenging for me Chris Lewis because I just I immediately thought oh my goodness I know that I've written about I know that as a kid as a teenager I was certainly very much aware of of those um the son called him the 
Pratt without the hat when he went to the West Indies in 93, 94 and got sunstroke. And that was like a big part of the narrative around Chris Lewis was like, oh, he's just he's just quite stupid. He just, you know, he just doesn't really think. He's not really thoughtful about his cricket. Everything's just a bit too kind of chill and relaxed. And you can see already like where the racial stereotyping is coming there. And it's confronting for for you know, for me, as as somebody who, who would definitely have kind of just absorbed that narrative, probably repeated it, and then somebody who, you know, equally wrote a book about 90s cricket, in which I know I mentioned Chris Lewis, I mean, I'm immediately thinking, I need to look back at, you know, what did I write? How did I write it? Mm. The sort of, the question of perception is a big one. One thing that jumped out for me in both your piece and, and the documentary was Phil DeFratis. Uh, when I think about players who are racially stereotyped, there are, there are players who were sort of around the edges of the team for a little while but didn't have substantial careers or even someone like Devin Malcolm who had amazing moments but was always talked down, was always sort of undermined in, in terms of his actual ability. You look at someone like DeFratis and at a glance, you think, okay, well, he had a substantial career for England. And the immediate sort of assumption that I could make is, well, he therefore didn't have problems. He wasn't excluded on a racial basis or whatever it was. And he also wasn't someone who talked about that, who gave any impression that that was the kind of thing that was going on. And then we hear from him in the doco and in the article where he says, well, absolutely, all these things were happening, but he didn't feel it was safe to talk about it. It wasn't in his career interest to talk about it because if you did, you got branded as the difficult, as, as being difficult. You know, the problem was with you if you complained about being on the receiving end of racial abuse or, or discrimination. So it was all about having to keep his mouth shut through his whole career and pretend that none of this stuff was happening. And it's not surprising, I guess, to hear this, but it is still confronting to hear it from someone who on the surface I might have imagined didn't no, it wasn't on the receiving end of things nearly as much as others were yeah definitely and I I I think it's interesting so Philip de Freitas for instance I have a feeling that I had once read maybe I think I might once have read maybe in a in a Phil Tufnell book one of one of his many autobiographies a line in passing about Daffy getting death threats. I think I think that story may well have kind of been known. And when I say been known, I mean just that. I think it might have been known, obviously, you know, by England teammates and whatever. What's interesting is that it was never told. You know, that that mm. was not that was not a story that was that was shocking in any way. That was not a story that was you know, held up and, and you know, there, there wasn't kind of a, a groundswell of why aren't we doing something about this, you know, or or indeed a kind of empathy for a player of like, gosh, think what, as he sort of said in my piece, you know, can you imagine what it's like to stand at the end of your run-up at a test match when you've received death threats? Yeah, when the National Front are saying they might have a sniper on the roof. And, you know, how, how that might affect your body. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's a massive change in in our societal culture, isn't it, that we now think about these things and we encourage empathy and we we do try and take a step back and think about what's happening in other people's minds and in other people's situations instead of just, you know, putting our own our own judgments, our own value judgments, which are 
always kind of informed by some kind of prejudice because they're coming out of our own eyes and you know so they're informed by our sense of our sense of values and our sense of judgment and what we perceive of other people and I think that I just think that that shows you gosh how how much our society has changed in even that short period of time Mm. that you know that was only the 1990s yeah and it it feels like even though it's only maybe 20 or 30 years ago in in some cases with some of these players that these memories have been and this is a recurring theme of butcher's uh, documentary they've not been at the surface they've been brought to the boil in recent times they've felt uh, i think um, uh, to describes it as a relief because he's never trusted anyone to, to have these sorts of conversations i mean yes there were some well documented examples uh, in during his career for example the the wisdom cricket monthly piece which we might come to in a moment but just the idea that there are all of these stories i mean the one that you have to start your piece uh, about sid lawrence with the banana peel as a 17 year old lad i mean can you imagine going through that and i suppose the only way they were able to get through it and again this is a bit of a theme in the documentary was to not make it much of their public persona it was to internalize it uh, so that they could get on with trying to make a living out of cricket yeah and yeah so i can tell you how difficult it has been for those people as you know as as much as obviously daffy did say it was a relief and he was and i was surprised you know that that people who had spent a long time talking to Mark Butcher in these interviews and who had, you know, and those would have been really, I mean, those would have been really difficult conversations to sit down and they've got a camera on them. I know Mark spent, you know, an hour or two with with some of those people in the documentary and he said he was stunned as well i mean he said he it wasn't something that was even really on his radar as a player and that what he was hearing back to him sort of the feedback he was getting from these players he was interviewing that that stunned him and, and that's as a black cricketer himself yeah so i so i genuinely thought after after that i thought there's every chance when i phone these guys they're going to say they don't want to talk to me. Right. Because, you know, they've, they've just done that. They've just dredged a lot of stuff up. They've just been, you know, been through this. They may well say, well, hold on, you know, it was one thing sitting down and pouring out my heart to Mark Butcher for an hour or two. You know, I've, I've done that now. I would like to kind of, you know, close the lid or, you know, just let, let that speak for itself. Um, I was really surprised at how quickly both um, Dave Lawrence and Philip DeFreitas said to me, yeah, absolutely. Love to talk to you. And how immediately open they were with me. You know, again, you know, somebody who, you know, they're just talking to on the end of a phone in this case. But the fact that it was new to them to talk about this stuff was very apparent. And something in my piece, in the opening of my piece, I, you know, I talked about what happened when Dave Lawrence um, started telling this story about the banana skin and he he basically he started telling it <laughs> he started telling the story he he told me what happened and then he started to tell me about his reaction to it and he just stopped talking and and I didn't write this in the piece because I didn't really want it to be the focus of the piece but he he wept he just wept on the other end of the phone and so you know there was a good kind of i don't know 40 to 50 seconds of just we were just both there knowing that you know he's reliving this awful thing and that it's and that it's really really hard for him to think about and talk about and that was one of those times when as a journalist you're like I've not really been in this situation before and we you know we've talked about why listening is important 
you know, for me, again, that was a really confronting, challenging experience. You know, I've interviewed a lot of sports people. I've interviewed a lot of emotional sports people. I interviewed Tom Daly, like, like I stood, you know, as as close to Tom Daly as I'm stand, as, as we're sitting now, right after he um, crashed out of the 2016 Olympics. And, you know, I had to stand there with a, with a microphone like this and ask him, you know, like how you what feeling? went wrong what yeah. went wrong and um and he you know he just you know welled up into with tears in front of me and that was I remember that being a really like that was a rough gig and thinking I do not I'm not enjoying this <laughs> but but I, I've never experienced anything like that like yeah. I've never felt anything like that as I did when I was on the phone today because I was like I actually genuinely I I don't know what to say and and actually words words are kind of almost meaningless in this context and so i I probably should not say anything so that's what I decided to do and 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 Dave was brilliant and he he then came back and and you know carried on and uh, you know another we talked for another 40 minutes after that and it was yeah it was a pretty humbling experience I would say. The thing that Mark Butcher said about being surprised by it and you know we spoke to him on the show a few months ago and we didn't talk about racing cricket a lot we did talk about it a little bit but one of the things that it made me think was that when you're white or when you're outside any sort of level of oppression for any particular reason you get the luxury of being surprised by hearing about it you get to be shocked by it because it's not part of your everyday life and you know all of the black cricketers would know and would have spoken to each other about it presumably and it's no surprise to any of them mark talked about it in terms of that he didn't have to face it personally because he was the son of Alan Butcher who was a Surrey legend and so he was brought up at Surrey and got to play for Surrey and he always got to be himself first before being identified as a racial stereotype but it also seemed to me that 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 ties into a thing that you see in almost all kinds of oppression where the people doing the oppressing want to have a few safe sort of examples of the people they are oppressing to to be in their inner circles, to be their, their friend so that they can have plausible deniability. They can say, I'm not racist. Well, our club's not racist. We've got Mark Butcher. He plays for us. He's black, you know, and, and that makes it okay because they've got someone from that minority group who's deemed safe hey you're talking to someone who was in a press box you know 20 years ago when she yeah. was the only woman in the press box i, I mm. know that i i i've seen that yeah, but, and so it's like okay we're not sexist because emma john's in there we're not racist because mark butcher plays for the club that part of it seems as important as anything else that it's like if you do the right things and behave in the right way then you might get admission as the one approved green tick member of that group who's allowed in and then as long as you don't rock the boat you know don't raise any trouble don't talk about it like Phil DeFreitas style keep your mouth shut about it and 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 don't make trouble and then you'll be allowed to keep being part of the the inner sanctum oh my goodness I mean yeah I mean you you know that is absolutely describing some experiences that I had right at the start of my career as a woman in, in the press box and you know things happened being treated in a certain way by male journalists mm. who were a lot older and in a position of you know considerable power and thinking I'm just I you know you you just have to suck it up you know you want to be here you don't rock the boat and and I think that is why it is 
that's that's why what we've what all of us have gone through in the past year or two but really you know i mean really since you know the george george floyd killing and the and the reactions and and the and the and the mass the mass kind of protest but also the mass awareness that was just like you know we people have been saying this stuff about structural racism forever and finally there's there's a pause there's there's a point in time when those of us who have just lived in and benefited from you know structural oppression for ages actually for a start see it because you know it's it's been put so clearly in front of us and like we're in, we're we're finally in a situation where where we're listening maybe i think one of the things that has been that i found really interesting in talking to american friends for example i've got a lot of um, american musicians musician friends a lot of friends in the music industry have been saying to me one of the things that they're really kind of grappling with now in their careers is it's not you know you listen and that is great but you actually have to inconvenience yourself. We're at this point now where we all have to, and for all sorts of reasons, not just racism, but so, so, so many structures. Climate crisis is another really good example. It's like, we all know, none of us have any excuse anymore. We all know that we're bound up in these structural systems of whatever it is, you know, capitalism, historic racism, all of these things, historic sexism, everything. And it's and it's all very well to know. But just as Jeff's just said, you know, it's not enough to be like, but we're OK because because we've got this one friend or we're OK because we've got this one person in our office. It's like, no, you actually as an individual have to have to in, have to start inconveniencing yourself you have to actually start laying down some of the benefits that you have and that is really hard i think for people to do yeah ignorance is no form of defense here anymore in a way that it probably never was but was was often rolled out climate change good comparison there i suppose it's not as though anyone can can claim they don't understand what is going on there on that front and much the same here and what's happened over the last 12 months I just want to go back to an era that you're really familiar with your celebrated book about england's cricket in the 90s a number of those players talk to you and talk to butch a theme there of them playing in the caribbean where they had been born in some cases uh, the go home thing you know go home when they're in england and they then they return back to the caribbean and they don't get particularly good treatment either because there's a there's a sense that they've left their homeland and are now playing against their homeland when 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 representing england uh but also some lovely touching and tender moments about chris lewis playing in front of his family in guyana as well but nonetheless there's that that contrast between uh, what they're hearing away from home and, and what they're getting uh when they play at home then there's this piece of writing which i must admit i've heard it referred to before but i, I haven't really engaged with it by robert henderson in the wisdom cricket monthly uh, as it was formally uh, as it was formally construed uh, it's a different magazine now, but you know that as it was then, where Phil DeFreitas and Devon Malcolm actually sued them and won, and and the reason why they were so aggrieved by it, and they spoke about this, was the idea that it was in the blood, so to speak, uh, that Negroes, the word used in the piece, were going to be uh, less committed to playing for England, and they were going to be lazy and not as committed to the cause as they would be uh, if they were white players. And it was framed at the time as like a conversation we have to have and all the rest of it. Yeah, and and the weird thing is that just wasn't even that long. I mean, that ha- it's so extraordinary how, how not long ago that is because yeah. I joined Wisdom Cricket Monthly. That was my, my first job in cricket journalism yep. was working for them. And I joined them when I jo- in, what, uh, sort of early 2000s. And 
that was still an absolutely live issue. The right. um, the piece, the piece, the piece. As it um, were. Yeah, you know that that it it was it had you know I, I don't know how many years were in between. I can't quite remember, but it was it was still something that was a very raw, very awful you know part of the magazine's history yeah and extraordinary to think that yeah at, at that time you could absolutely somebody could write that with it with a sort of almost it's it's that kind of classic you know oh there's almost a scientific air to this you know that kind of yes fake full science you know that the nazis used to use yeah, eugenics what it called, <laughs> Where yeah, it's yeah. like well yeah i mean you know there, there's got to be some kind of you know you know scientific evidence here that there's you know a difference between the races or you know whatever it is and again something that actually when i look back and i think the way that that was handled, you know, ob- obviously there was an apology and, and Daffy and um, Devon won, you know, won their case and all the rest of it. But the way that I guess everybody else just sort of saw it as a kind of, oh, this oh this kind of sort of side sideshow thing that's happened. It just wasn't as big a deal as it should have been. Yeah, and yet, and yet, you know, two and a half decades on from that piece, maybe even longer, the Joffre Archer uh, example from 2019. It's a big part of the documentary uh, explaining how he knew, and I thought this was fascinating, how he knew when watching the Euro final, Euros final shootout this year that he put himself in those shoes and said, well, look, if we didn't win the 2019 World Cup in that, in that super over that he sent down, he knows it would have been the same for him, the online abuse. So it's kind of the modern iteration of what we're seeing now. You can even spot it and identify it in the comments underneath Sky Cricket's Twitter account or other social media platforms when they put out clips around, uh, well, this documentary in the last week, a number of people reply um, and, and just ca- just won't have it. They just won't have this. And, you know, you kind of sense that if you were a black athlete in the modern era playing for the England cricket team, it would be hard work knowing that uh, these pelters will end up, these racist pelters will end up in your, in your replies at some stage or another when you perform poorly on the field, which will happen to any professional athlete. So it's not about sort of saying, well, racism was a thing back then. For cricketers in that generation, uh, it's still a very live issue for the modern players who are representing England at the moment, Joffre Archer and Chris Jordan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, and it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I, I, so talking to Patrick, the documentary maker, uh, when I was trying to get a steer on, you know, oh, I'd love to, I'd essentially love my piece to kind of supplement your documentary in a sense, because, you know, you've done, you've yep. done lots of research, you've, you've got a, a a documentary that is only going to be an hour long in total um so you've had to you know you've had to miss a lot of stuff and and cut a lot of stories he was giving me this just real pricey of you know well here are some people who who had a lot to say and here are some people who were like the you know i had a really negative experience mm-hmm. and then here are some people who you know dean headley for example oh that dean well the dean headley bit i mean even then what i was saying then about archer and jordan the fact they still get called lazy and soft and all the rest of it which is exactly what headley experienced as a player but, 25 years ago but, I mean, he, you know, like but the, he very much sort of says oh you know and he says it in the documentary he says you know and i didn't have any you know i never suffered because of the color of my skin and i, and it, I thought it was really interesting you know because but didn't you find that little caveat he gave at the end even more instructive that he goes well I, I didn't have an issue with the color of my skin however i, did I still i still soft. had to endure all of these stereotypes that as you point out in your answer yeah. before invariably come up about black athletes and this is it i mean i just think yeah there's a lot of and and obviously people like joffre and, and chris jordan again they're going to be completely circumscribed about what they say i mean despite the fact that it's there on social media it's there 
like I was going to say in black and white, but maybe, you know, we're since we're mostly talking about Twitter in blue and white, you know, it's yeah. there. But at the same time, they will be careful and considered in what they say because they are black players in in a in a white dominated environment and they won't want it to be all that's talked about they won't want it to be the way they're perceived they won't want it to be you know all these things that we've just been talking about Mm. how you navigate the world when these issues are around you and the elephant in the room on all of this is participation rates, uh, which, you know, as Butch has, uh, with in his uh, way of explaining it, there were 33 black players in the county championship in the mid-90s. There are nine today, so a 70, 70% decline. I think that, that number's on the rise as well. Um, and that's since, you know... That's just the last 20 years or so. And it's not just about the playing fraternity. It, it's off the field too. Mark Elaine speaks powerfully about doors that might not have been as open as they should have been him for him as a coach, even lower-level coaching roles as well that, were, that have been gone through in the doco. So it's a game-wide thing, and I found it interesting that Ebony's observation was that upon realising that these narrow pathways weren't bringing black cricketers through or black people full stop into a game, they had to develop their own pathway, thus the ACE program, which has now um, got national charity status but started at Surrey a, a couple of years ago. But, I mean, it feels like it is going to be a big, big job now to arrest this decline, and and, and I'm sure work like this will help contribute to that. But, uh, yeah, it, it, they are stark numbers, aren't they? It's unavoidably the case. And it's so interesting because actually a lot of the people who, who spoke about that, Ebony, uh, Mark Elaine, Dave Lawrence, you know, said the same thing to me. It's it like... Actually, Daffy said, they all said the same thing. They was like, they don't kind of, you know, it, it, it's never kind of personal racism that is it, it, that they, they blame, you know, they would blame this on. I mean, we're talking again about kind of structures. Yeah. And, and, it, and so I've just written a piece today about what Lancashire are doing to encourage better engagement with South Asian population. And one of the things that I really come, I've come down to is that inclusion is just about thoughtfulness. It's actually, it's so rarely, exclusion is so rarely about personal prejudice. It's just not thinking about the other person. Exactly what Ebony said about, you know, the fact that Surrey hadn't, nobody at Surrey had really, even even though the Oval is traditionally the ground that was like the ho- the home, the heartland for West Indian support in in the UK and that you could literally see um the ground changing you could literally see the crowds changing since you know those those great images we all have in our heads of the late 70s early 80s of you know the crowd being full of West Indian supporters and people from Caribbean heritage uh and so people at the Oval you know they've lived and worked through 20 years of that decline say more 30 but because the people in charge are white and are not are not not black. They haven't necessarily thought, well, what do we do about that? Because they thought, well, that's the black community's issue. That's that's kind of the that's the Caribbean heritage community's issue themselves. It's you know it's that they're um, you know that and again. Daffy, Dave Lawrence, people said this to me, you know, football is more popular, football is more affordable, football is just a much, 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 much bigger sport in this country. And also you can see black footballers And you can see black footballers. And so even Mark Elaine's son, you know, who's just signed for Manchester City, these players who were kind of pioneers in, in their own regard, playing for England, their children, the next generation, did not 
feel like they were growing up with the same sort of love of, of cricket. And it really declined so fast when you look at it, you know, from, from Windrush generation to now, that's not many decades. And it's basically, again, you know, I'm saying this as I all I'm trying to do is be a mouthpiece for what people have said to me. Yeah. But what those players said to me, what Dave Lawrence, Daffy, these people said, you know, their parents' generation cricket was a really really big deal you know it was it was a really big part of the caribbean identity and the the identity of a caribbean immigrant in in england and so for them growing up you know they absorbed that it was it was a big part of their identity that that's gone um dave lawrence says i don't think you're ever going to get that back and i think in some ways you know maybe yeah maybe that thread has has been lost what you can do and what ebony is doing is you you just make an offer essentially of cricket to places and we're talking you know inner city london in in this case that just doesn't have it and feels excluded from it not because you know oh their parents don't play it anymore because nobody play nobody plays it you know nobody plays it in the state schools and I just think that's yeah I think it's really interesting I think I think it's I think you know Mark Elaine's point about coaches belongs there as well you know in the sense of you know if you can't see it you can't be it and there are not enough I mean we say not enough there are not really any black coaches in the system so of course that of course that has a knock-on effect and again that's just thoughtlessness you know that's it is a it is prejudice on 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 one level it's unconscious bias it's all of these things but changing that just is a case of people thinking and putting thought into things and I, and I do think that the more people talk about it the more that will change because look at what the ECB do is doing with South Asian populations now and the way that they they so many different programs mm. to work on that I think it's, again Ebony said it she said you just have to have people from those communities from those backgrounds in places of in positions of power we, you have to have a black woman on the board in order to put this on anybody's radar once it's on somebody's radar change happens you know mm, absolutely nicely summed up it might be that one thread has come to an end, but but hopefully uh, through conversations that have been had this week through uh, the You Guys Are History documentary, your piece in the paper, on the weekend as well, which people can access in all the usual ways, uh, we can advance that because, of course, uh, the game is so much richer and better uh, for the, its diversity uh, and uh, where that has diminished, uh, it's incumbent upon all of us inside the game to, to do everything we can. And at the moment, it, it feels as though the best thing we can do is is listen and help facilitate those conversations and you've done a fine job in doing that Uh, emma john thanks for rejoining the final word thanks hi i'm ian chapel you're listening to the final word with adam collins and jeff lemon this is the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins or not so much adam collins because he's just put the microphone down and run out the door so he can go and pick up winifred from nursery adorable uh, thanks emma john for making the time to speak to us today and uh, thanks to everybody for listening in as you do there would be no point making the show if you didn't do that hello everybody watching on youtube nice to get to know you all as well um, people on patreon particularly who fund this show and the weekend show and uh, make it possible for us to keep 
putting together what we do week in and week out. We'll be back with the daily shows for the fifth test. Hopefully it's more cricket than rain, but we'll do them even if it's raining, I guess. Why not? We, well, look, maybe, maybe I'll get an early night if there's a lot of rain, but we'll, we'll, we'll decide that when we get there. Thanks to Brick Lane for supporting the show, uh, bricklanebrewing.com, and you can also check out lordstaverners.org if you want to see the good work that the Lord's Tavs are doing. Uh, we'll be back on the weekend with story time with Daniel Norcross, who's filling in this weekend, and on the daily shows, as mentioned. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins, final word. See you then. So you know what I meant here. I had to go. Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at finalwordcricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. Finalwordcricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at bricklanebrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.